This is 50 miles per hour. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. You're deeply nuts, you know that. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is on. Stay on or get off. If it drops below 50, stay on or get off. It blows up. Oh darn. What do you do? You have a hair trigger aimed at your head. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I'm your host, Chris Tapley, and you're listening to an oral history of director Jan de Bont's 1994 summer blockbuster, Speed. Straight from the people who made it happen. Now, don't forget to fasten your seatbelts. Let's hit the road. Welcome back, everyone, and yet another detour today. We're going to talk about Sandra Bullock. And I've dragged another of our esteemed critics and journalists into the fray with me today. I'm here with Kate Erbland, the executive editor of Film at IndieWire. She runs the section and also does reviews and interviews, and she's a member of the New York Film Critics Circle. You've also read her stuff at Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and Cosmopolitan. Kate, thanks for coming on. Chris, thank you so much for having me. So, yes, Sandra Bullock, I'm going to run through the uh, requisite bio information real quick. Sandra Bullock was born July 26th, 1964, which makes her a Leo. She was born in Arlington County, Virginia, which is near where I was born, and that's going to matter in a minute, I promise. She's a military brat, daughter of an opera singer and of an army employee. Uh, Her dad was like part of the military postal service and later was a Pentagon contractor. She was raised in Germany and Austria for 12 years. She went to East Carolina University. Also my neck of the woods, out in Wilson, North Carolina. And then she moved to New York to pursue acting. Now, I'm going to run through her early career real quick, because her career kind of starts with speed, obviously. But, you know, she had been around, so let's talk about what got her to this point. She had, similar to Keanu, a number of uh, significant other roles, I guess. Uh, She started with Hangman, which was a straight-to-video movie here, but it actually played Cannes. Oddly enough, uh, in 1987, she did a lot of TV things. The Preppy Murder was a TV movie she did. Uh, She got a bigger break in something called Bionic Showdown with Lee Majors and Lindsay Wagner, uh, the $6 million man and the Bionic Woman. She was kind of a Bionic Woman junior. She was like a younger, bionically enhanced. I mean, it was like Muppet Babies for $6 million man and Bionic Woman, like, you know, these, these younger versions of of that and it was supposed to be a backdoor pilot for a series featuring her that never materialized and then she did get a series in working girl 1990 based on the 1988 mike nichols movie 12 episodes one season and done all the while she's doing some movies and she does love potion number nine in 1992 which is her big studio breakthrough uh it did not make her popular among the fox business affairs folks as everyone learned in the last episode 1993 was a big year. The Vanishing with Jeff Bridges. Uh, She gets kind of taken out immediately at the beginning of that movie, but she is present in a photograph throughout. But she's really good opposite Jeff at the beginning of that. She's in The Thing Called Love, Peter Bogdanovich. She's in this movie called Fire on the Amazon that's not good. Wrestling with Ernest Hemingway with Robert Duvall. And the movie that would actually uh, sort of allow Fox to convince themselves that she could do an action movie is Demolition Man, where she kind of fills in for Laurie Petty, uh, who who clashed creatively. Who, who knew 
creative clashes on the set of Demolition Man. I love that movie, though, as I said last week. Um, and, and then we get to speed. So this is where we are in the timeline of 50 miles per hour. We finally hired our Annie and it's Sandra Bullock fresh off of Demolition Man. And this year I just explained of 1993. And let's go. We're going to talk about her in speed immediately here, as opposed to Keanu, who had a bit of a career going already. And certainly Dennis Hopper, who we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, who was approaching the twilight of his career. Sandy is ready to, I say Sandy, like she's my buddy, but <laughs> she is my buddy. Sandy's ready to explode and speed does it. So Kate, uh, I'm going to shut up now and ask you, what do you think speed uh, represents in her career and kind of setting her up for the career she would have? Um, well, it was funny when I was starting to think about talking to you about this, I think people who weren't super familiar with her probably thought, oh, oh, she's coming out of nowhere. Who is this girl? But as you mentioned, she just starred in a film with Sylvester Stallone, which can be a sort of fraught experience. And she she holds her own and she's kind of competent, but ditzy. She's playing this future cop who doesn't understand the world that Stallone comes from. And so it's sort of an interesting mix for her that we see in Speed. She's competent, but she's a little silly. I mean, she's the one who's driving the bus the entire time. Not just anyone can do that. So, you know, she comes on board. As I'm sure you've mentioned, she was cast pretty late. I was diving back into some of the, the journalistic archives to see when she was cast and what that was like. And then all of a sudden it's like, she's she's a movie star. She's like a fully formed movie star. And it's not just, oh, she's great at this. All of a sudden, she's also a really great business person, which I think we can probably talk more about. But all of a sudden, she is rocketed into the upper echelon of not just female movie stars, but Hollywood movie stars, because she's just so good. And she and Keanu were so good. But again, it's just this, she has a competence level that she's believable as someone who can handle this kind of stuff. But she's still very charming, still has like an every woman thing going on. But also, you know, she's not an every woman. Not everyone can do the kind of stuff that she does in most of her films and specifically in Speed. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned about the uh, what the experience of a sly movie can be, because especially that one. I remember interviewing Dennis Leary about that movie, and he was like, the amenities on this movie were out of control, like sly sly my buddy uh he traveled with a portable portable driving range like it, it was just you know out of control and so yeah to to be thrust into that movie again uh replacing another actress and show whatever resilience she did to be in the movie and uh really just leave an impression absolutely it set her up perfectly for this and god she's <laughs> The role, as I've talked about, was originally a number of things. An ambulance driver who was popping pain meds named Darlene, uh, a stand-up comedian who taught uh, like a driving school. And eventually she's just a graphic designer, which you would only know from a deleted scene on the DVD. But uh, and she's just on the bus and she's just it's not about where she's it's not about where any of these people are coming from. Ultimately, nobody has a backstory, right? So you have to supply a life and she supplies so much life. Uh, she is exactly the kind of comedian, so to speak, that the movie needed without being a comedian. You know, uh, it's it's all about personality. And I mean, look, this is all the stuff that a year later, Vanity Fair would dub her America's sweetheart. Right. What does that mean to you, by the way, when you see America's sweetheart as it pertains to Sandra Bullock? 
Well, I just want to go back. One thing where you said about you don't really get a lot of backstory, but Sandy, my friend Sandy, does manage to provide a sense that she is obviously she's very familiar with the bus driver. She's familiar with the other riders. This is a usual route for them. And so you, even if you're not getting, you're not hearing a lot, you understand something about the relationship that these people have with each other. And I think she does that in such a great way that it is not forced. And I think another actress, it would feel too over the top, like, oh, my great friend, the bus driver. And it's just like, it's very relatable and easy. These people are part of her life. And now her life has been totally upended. But as far as America's Sweetheart, I don't know, it's like a like an it girl thing. Like, what does it mean in the moment? It's just, oh, everyone loves you. Everyone knows you. But it's just another way to talk about someone being a commodity and being sellable and bankable, which mm-hmm. she is, was, and has been pretty much since Speed. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's the girl next door thing as a quality. Uh, you know, they've... They've tried over the years. They did with Love Potion number nine, uh, and, and certainly since then, they've tried the ugly, ugly duckling thing with her. That, in my opinion, never takes. It's like she's too gorgeous for that to really happen. <laughs> and it's really funny in Love Potion number nine because I think she's got some weird teeth in and stuff, and it's just a whole thing. But yeah, it's just that relatable thing, that down to earth quality, which was actually in keeping with the entire movie. I mean, the action hero is a down to earth guy. He's not some muscle bound commando. Uh, You know, there's a quality about all of the bus passengers. They're not like extras in the background. They're just kind of regular people who feel like they're actually on the bus. So this sort of realism that is a consistent uh, refrain on this podcast, uh, it's inherent in her as well. I've taken to calling the previous episode a star is born because if there is that kind of moment with this movie, it's obviously her. And so she she uh, speeds out of this movie, uh, just a full blown star. There's one other movie she did in '94 called Me and the Mob. By the way, uh, who do I gotta kill? Right, let's just say after Speed, she wouldn't be doing any more movies like this. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's something. <laughs> she wishes she could kill the people who made that movie, so no one <laughs> ever talked about it again. There you go. I, well, I don't think anyone does. I mean, I, I frankly, it was just like on IMDb, like, what is this one? And I, I looked up her one or two scenes and was like, got it. But she's she's Miss Rom-Com immediately after this. Uh, you know, she does like While You Were Sleeping. It becomes like the one she did with so-and-so. It's like there's the one she did with Bill Pullman, the one she did with Dennis Leary, the one she did with Chris O'Connell, the one she did with Harry Connick Jr. Like, it's sort of these tandems. There's While You Were Sleeping with Pullman. There's Two If By Sea, which is... Not good, but there's a pulse there, at least. Uh, Dennis Leary wrote it, I think, with him. Uh, Chris O'Donnell as Ernest Hemingway. I never saw In Love and War. I don't know if you did. I So thinking back, I I did not rewatch it for our discussion, but I definitely saw it when it came out because I, you know, this is for another podcast. I was huge obsessed with Chris O'Donnell. Huge. And it is is very much not a rom-com, but it is a romance. And they're fine. It's fine. Big Three Musketeers fan or Big Batman oh, yeah. Forever fan? Both, okay. both. Huge, huge, okay. like embarrassingly so. Okay, had the posters up and everything. And uh, but, cards. I had trading cards. What was I doing with trading cards? Putting them under my pillow. I wish they had in Love and War trading cards. That would have been something. Chris O'Donnell as Ernest Hemingway. I just had to say that again because it's hilarious. Um, yep. Hope Floats, Harry Connick Jr., um, I, I think I saw this when it came out. I certainly didn't watch it in preparation for this, but I watched the trailer, which has lightning crashes in it from live, which I thought was funny. 
it's kind of charming. It's like it is there is a romance going on, but it's also about her trying to um, find herself after her husband leaves her like very embarrassingly on like sort of a Maury Povich type show. And she yeah. comes back to her small southern town and Harry Connick Jr. has been waiting for her the whole time. And so that's part of it. But it's also her, you know, coming back into her womanhood and becoming a better mother, a better daughter. It's pretty good. I, you know, I'm kind of a fan of that one, I'd say. Well, it's Forrest Whitaker too. I mean, he's yeah. he's a good director and uh, I, I should maybe give Hope Floats a better shot. But uh, I, this was 1998 and I was in high school and probably didn't want to see Hope Floats. No. So, but she had some, <laughs> it was not for me. But they, they had some more interesting roles out there for her. I mean, The Net, we, we spoke offline about this. You say it doesn't really hold up. I just remember liking it a lot when I was a kid, but it's probably the first like movie star role she gets coming out of speed, like leading the charge on like yeah. what is ostensibly a popular piece of, you know, material. Yeah. That's really like that's that's a that's a Sandra Bullock movie. She is the star. It's centered on her. And I was the same as you. Like I remembered liking it at the time. I think I rewatched it on TV a few times years and years ago. But the last time I watched part of it on TV within the last year, it wasn't even like, oh, this is dated because it's obviously very dated. But like the pacing was bad and it was sort of just trying to put her into a box that I don't think suits her, which is sort of like the slick hacker type who gets caught up in something else and that's pretty far afield from you know this this every woman thing that we're talking about even though it did have that same competence level that she always has which i i love well it's also worth it to find the boundaries right uh at this stage in your career like what can you do what can't you do what does look good on you what doesn't look good on you material wise uh a time to kill is a good role for her um you know she's sort of is she sort of third wheel to Ashley Judd and Matthew McConaughey in that, would you say? Kind of the third? Because I'm trying to remember. I mean, it's like Ashley Judd play, plays his wife. I just remember her. She's like helping. She's like the help. She's like, yeah, she's like, she's like a young law student who has also stumbled in to this, you know, this horrible thing and is helping out Matthew McConaughey. And obviously Matthew McConaughey, his character has this really wonderful um, emotional, pretty sexy marriage with Ashley Judd. So there's not even, I think there's one moment where someone mistakes their relationship and, mm -hmm. but there, it's not a romantic thing. And I think that's actually pretty interesting to have a film that is led by a man and two women and it's not a love triangle. Yeah, exactly. I remember a lot of sweat in that movie though. Yeah. A lot of sweat. <laughs> I mean, it's a Joel Schumacher film. It's a Joel it's Schumacher of... film in the South and McConaughey's blowing up then too. I mean, that's the movie that sort of sends him, uh, on his way as, as a leading man. Um, and, and Ashley Judd is obviously starting to, to blow up there too. So it's, it's interesting to have the three of them in that movie, but what I'm curious about, I want to ask you about is just in this immediate wake of speed uh, before the, the uh, let's, let's call it the uh, disaster of speed to uh, what kind of a career does it look like to you? She's, trying to put together you know we've got while you were sleeping two if by sea and love and war hope floats is after speed too but the net time to kill what does that look like to you i mean i think what's striking about it is how varied it is and like you said she's trying to find you know the boundaries and the margins of what she's good in and what people respond to and i mean like i said when she came out of speed and she was such a major star i was reading these old articles and it was all about her bankability and and how much money she can start commanding for her roles, but she didn't really have a lot of female peers. It was more of a male trajectory. 
And I think she continued to do that in an interesting way by doing different things instead of doing what probably more men would do, which is just like, oh, more action roles. She Mm -hmm. wanted to do different things. So she's taking a sort of typically male stardom rise and, and putting her own spin on it, which I think was pretty bold to do right out the gate instead of, you know, I'm sure she was tossed all kinds of speed wannabes and lookalikes and she didn't really do those. I mean, the most comparable one would maybe be the net because it's an action film sort of. And like I said, it's, you know, it doesn't really work for me, but I think she never did anything like that again. So she probably also realized, Hey, this isn't it. Well, she will very quickly learn what works uh, and, and kind of keep going back to that. Well, actually, but speed two happens. Uh, we could just leave it at that. Um, it, it's it's everyone should have walked away the moment Keanu Reeves said no. Um, yes. It's it lost a ton of money. It's creatively bankrupt. I I, I will deal with this movie later uh, in this project, but um, she's the one though in that movie, right? Like it's not a Keanu Reeves vehicle. Speed two is a Sandra Bullock vehicle, and. Jason Patrick is just kind of there. Well, I just, I love the way that they, you know, obviously very quickly rewrote it without Keanu, where it's just like, yes, uh, uh, she and Jack have broken up, um, but she's dating another cop who gets into crazy situations. And I guess she's just got a type. And Whose boss so, is also Joe Morton, who it's would so weird. tell them to take his name off of the movie, by the way. It's such um, a small world. She just, she has a type. She, you can't keep her away from these guys. Totally. But I, one thing that about that movie that I will drill into a little bit here because it pertains to her is they ruined her character. Mm-hmm. She's suddenly a bit of a damsel at this point. She's got so much agency in the first movie. And then in this one, they just, I don't know how you lose sight of that thread with that character, but they completely did. And it's almost like she's a different person to me. Um, yeah. She's very ditzy. And I think she's like really hung up. She really hung up on, on, um, Jason Patrick's character proposing to her, like she becomes very much just like, you know, I guess not a wife guy, like a a husband girl where that's all she's about. And Jason Patrick becomes like the action star of this. He's off saving everyone. He's saving that deaf girl. And (laughs) yeah, it's just like they, it's like they kept the character like Jack, but they didn't keep the character of Annie, which is the actual character that they have. It's a pity. But we'll get more into it later. Around this time, though, uh, very quickly, she's starting to think like a producer and becomes a producer. She launches Fortis Films, her her shingle. Uh, she didn't produce Practical Magic, but Fortis Films it was a production company on it. Um, what a weird movie, by the way. I saw it for the first time recently. Her and Nicole Kidman. Uh, it's, you know, I think it's an interesting choice for them to be sisters. They're sister witches who have... Um pursued different uh, paths in life and they sort of come back together to uh, help cover up the death murder, definitely death, maybe murder of Nicole Kidman's abusive boyfriend. And they use magic and spells and Aiden Quinn's there and they fall in love. (laughs) Aiden Quinn's there. Yes, he's there. It's, I think it's a strange movie. I remember watching it a lot on TV when I was younger and it's like, it is a good sort of romance like I think that Sandy and Aiden have great chemistry and it has all these like incredible Stevie Nicks songs that that's the first time I heard them so that's a major plus but it is 
maybe the boundaries of her romantic possibilities where it's like there's all this other stuff going on and it doesn't totally work and then it's like this whole girl power thing about yeah. like oh witches well we're gonna get it done very strange well the spice girls are blowing up the charts at that point um so you know directed by griffin dunn bizarrely bizarrely uh, it's 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 strange but yeah she she's becoming a multi-hyphenate at this point she produces gunshy in 2000 uh she also does 28 days in 2000 uh which is you know uh, uh, has more meat on its bones as roles go um plays an addict and it's sort of a it's a little bit of an ensemble like a cuckoo's nest kind of thing uh but then right back into the rom-coms i mean in 99 just to go back a year she it's the one she does with ben affleck uh I, I find it to be sort of lazy, manic, pixie, dream girl territory. Um, very 1999. Derogatory. Said in a derogatory way. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then in 2000, again, she, she does Miss Congeniality. And this is the one that kind of launches her into another status, I guess. Uh, you know, it makes like over 200 million at the box office worldwide, but she produced it. Uh it's it's the first romantic comedy she does, I guess, that leans into her as just having more of a stronger presence than just being that character in that kind of movie, you know? Uh she's she's this force of will on the on the police force uh who has to go undercover. It sounds ridiculous, right? Who has to go undercover at a beauty pageant and uh and she crushes it. Um and I, you know. I don't know if this is thirsty, but there's that shot that they certainly play up of her walking out in that tight, slinky dress. And it's like, oh, Sandra Bullock is a sex symbol all of a sudden in a way that she certainly wasn't. She was kind of the cute girl next door, the America's sweetheart thing. And then this movie really flips that light on a little more. Right. Well, I'm going to let you take that. <laughs> well, it's funny that it does at first play up that love potion number nine ugly duckling thing where it's like she has these like horrible eyebrows and she's just like a total mess, which is something she sort of goes back to for the heat in its own way. Um, but yeah, it's like, oh, she's such an ugly duckling. But it's the same thing where it's like, no, she's not. She's absolutely gorgeous. She is the only person who can do the specific thing that she has to do. She's really competent. She's really smart. Um, she's been underestimated and she's super fun to watch. And like, that's a film that out of most of these just really holds up. It's still so funny and so charming because she's so funny and so charming. Yeah. And the premise is tight. Like it doesn't lose itself. It's not like full of just like, why would that happen? Why would that happen? No, it, you're kind of with it the whole time. Uh, she does two weeks notice with Hugh Grant, another 200 million easy. I just do my, my two weeks notice thing for me, <laughs> I'm filming like two weeks notice and also music and lyrics, both starring Hugh Grant. These are these like early aughts rom-coms where the genre was dying and it felt like every studio had like a wall in, in an office where it would be like names of men and names of women and you know stupid ideas and they're just throwing darts and it's like Hugh Grant Sandra Bullock she's a lawyer but also his assistant he's rich she's poor and it's just like <laughs> so by the numbers and it does not really work although she does get away with some pretty great physical comedy like there's an entire sequence there about her having to poop her pants <laughs> which is something that not many people could make charming and relatable instead of like gross 
That's true. She does start to break out the the physical comedy around now with Miss Congeniality as well. Just a bit about falling with wearing the hill heels and tripping and stuff like that. But two weeks notice, that was the first movie I discovered, assuming Wikipedia is uh, gospel. The, the first movie to shoot in New York after 9-11. I feel like I've heard that before. I think that's right. Yeah. Because it's like definitely shot in New York. There's like she's from Coney Island and like yeah. they're always like shooting there. She does these two movies in 2002, um, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood and Murder by Numbers. Um, I look at that and I see Callie Corey and I see Barbe Schroeder and I'm like, oh, you want to work with Callie Corey and Barbe Schroeder and not to, you know, disparage the, 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 the movies or the material or anything. But it's just like, OK, you want to work with filmmakers like this. You're a multi hyphenate now. You're producing. She's producing the George Lopez sitcom uh, for like five years at this point. Uh, which is interesting. She does a sequel to Miss Congeniality in 2005. Naturally, you get go back to the well on that one. Uh, I actually never saw that one, but it feels to me like there will be a third one one day. Like, how do you not go back to that at some point? Yeah, inevitably. Then in 2005, also, um, you know, as much as it's hated, probably because of what it beat at the Oscars, everybody comes out of Crash unscathed. By the way, from Brendan Fraser just won an Oscar. You know, uh, Matt Dillon was nominated at the time. He was fine. Sandra Bullock, though, when she's in that movie, she gives that the the lift, the prestige lift, I guess, that it needed to be because she's sort of the star of the movie, right? As far as just like, I mean, it's clearly an ensemble, and 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 obviously everybody has their thing, but her journey is sort of like the journey that the movie sort of wants you to to latch onto, I feel like it's my memory anyway. Yeah. It's the one that they, the movie wants you to care about the most, or at least, you know, sort of reflect the audience a little more. But yeah, I mean, like you said, none of like people still talk, you know, badly about the film, but like you said, no one came out of it particularly being like, Oh, she was in crash. It's over for her. <laughs> yeah. It's not a blemish on anybody's career. And, and also uh, the role she's playing, you know, this, She's a racist. It's dramatic. It's heavy. It's nothing we've seen her really do at this point. Uh, so it is sort of a, a, you know, she's been zigging and now she zags and does this. And it's it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting choice for her. And it's the first movie she's in that's nominated for Best Picture. She will ultimately be in four. Uh, the Lake House. <laughs> 2006. Finally, Keanu and Sandra together again. And I have no fucking idea what happened in this movie. I mean, you and I had been talking about this offline that uh, I don't really vibe with time tri- time travel romances because there's so many rules. And this is a film that has rules and some of them are just like really stupid. Like it's a magical mailbox. Okay. <laughs> and of course, it's great to see them together, but like we only see them together in certain points in the film because it's about their different journeys to get to each other at different points in time. So, you know, you can say, oh, it's Keanu and, and Sandy back together again, but is it really it's i don't not. understand it i don't understand even when they're together i'm like are they actually together here or is this like a device like there's just moments in that movie that i i i got i felt like an idiot watching that movie i was just like i can't piece this together and i hate that it sounds like at this point by the way that i'm dumping on a lot of her filmography uh but she is always the spark in a lot of these movies by the way so it, it it's not to take anything from her but that one yeah I mean, I will say she brings sort of like 
weirdly gravitas to some parts. Like I can remember now so specifically that scene at the end where she like, she realizes what's going on and what the rules are. And she like goes to the mailbox and she's like crying and she puts the letter in and she's like, just wait, just wait. And she's like kneeling there and holding this mailbox crying and it's, you know, on its face, it's absurd, but she's really selling it. Yeah. And I, again, I, I have no idea what was going on there. I mean, I do like, she's trying to keep him from dying or whatever, yeah. but like, it's a magic it's... Lake, magic lake house, magic mailbox. It's like the photograph in back to the future or something. It's, it's just, it's weird. Yeah. She does infamous. She plays Harper Lee. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Catherine Keener's playing Harper, Harper Lee over in Capote, uh, the, the dueling Capote movies of that year. Uh, Premonition, Cole poster, never saw the movie. Um, 2009 is, the breakout year for her, I think, as far as like this stage in her career, the biggest year I think she had since 93 anyway. Um, she does the proposal with the one she does with Ryan Reynolds, but I don't want to disparage that one either because I actually like that one a lot. Uh, it's better than the other rom-coms. Part of that is, again, it's a stronger role. She's playing this, you know, uh, taskmaster uh, boss of Ryan Reynolds, who is going to be deported back to Canada because there's something Canadian about Sandy. And uh, and so he, he she kind of forces him to go through a sham marriage and they fall in love along the way. And it it works. It works. They're adorable together. Like and she is very believable as this very sort of hardened career woman who doesn't have time for anything else and has to go along with this increasingly bizarre, you know, sham relationship where they have to go to Alaska and <laughs> Betty White's there. A a dog, a small dog is almost eaten by an eagle. So she, again, more physical comedy. She's running around with that dog, but she's, she's just, she's believable in a role that could be a little silly where it's like, Not oh. only that, she's, she's out in the woods dancing with Betty, uh, Betty White. Yeah. Almost said Betty Davis. That would have been something. What was the song? It's from the uh, window. Oh, get yeah. get low. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> she cracks me up in that scene, by the way. There's something about the way she's dancing and the look on her face. Like she's playing both. I'm really getting deep into analyzing the proposal, but she's playing both like a hardened kind of, like you say, uh, on her face while going through the motions of this thing with Betty White uh, physically. And it's just, I don't know, it's a, it's a funny clash of things going on there. That year, she also does All About Steve, which I finally saw. This is all you. Yeah, I'll take this one. This is the one she does with Bradley Cooper. Uh, this is Hangover Era Bradley Cooper, and his voice is basically still cracking. He's going through puberty or something. But no, it, it, it's it's a bad movie. It, it's a bad screenplay, actually, because it's a totally watchable movie. Like, I might, I'm not going to die on the hill of All About Steve, but I might defend it. Because I was cackling. Uh, she she plays this. Uh, she and the movie are cringy by design. Okay. Oh. Which, therefore, I think the joke is on the Razzie Awards, which is a just a despicable organization in my view. But it, it won all their, quote, awards that year. And she showed up to accept her Razzie for, for either worst film or worst actress or whatever. And... Uh, you know, that's a lot easier to do, by the way, when you're accepting an Oscar the next night, which uh, I'm going to get to in a second. But yeah, all about Steve. She plays this kind of cringy uh, girl who who makes crossword puzzles like that's her job. And so she's got a head full of just useless knowledge that she's always throwing out. And 
She's obsessed with this guy, Steve, played by Bradley Cooper. I mean, who isn't? And she's just uh, sort of stalkery. And then there's a whole plot about some kids falling into a mine shaft and she falls in there. And then the entire community like loves her suddenly. And uh, look, it's a bad screenplay, but she's good. And Bradley's actually good. And Thomas Hayden Church is hilarious. I mean, he's very Thomas Hayden Churchy in it. Um. But yeah, I, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to die on this hill. But Beth Grant told me, an unfairly maligned movie. <laughs> she uh, she plays her mom in it. Beth Grant is the bus passenger who dies midway through speed. And uh, yeah, you know, it didn't deserve all that hate. There's always something, though, that is the, the, the sort of target of ire. But like I said, the next night she's accepting an Oscar for The Blind Side, which was also a Best Picture nominee. She plays the adoptive mother of a football player uh, who's, you know, on the verge of, I guess he eventually gets drafted at the by the NFL, by the Ravens, but he's in college at the time at Ole Miss. And, uh, you know, just a, a fiery performance, the kind of performance that wins Oscars, the kind of performance that wins Oscars for an actor like Sandra Bullock at this stage in her career, too, right? It's a little transformative because she does the hair thing, the big hair thing, and you know, there's just there's a southern grit to it that she probably tapped into very easily. Um, She's playing well, this like mama bear role that yeah. we're not used to seeing her play. Yeah. Um, just cruises through the season. It's one of those, you know, you and I are no strangers to Oscar season. It's one of those things where it's like from beginning to end, it's like, yep, this is going to be her year. And I remember when she won the Oscar, she gets on stage and she says, did I actually win this or did I just wear y'all down? And talk about a knowing comment. Uh, I've always loved her for that because that is exactly what that grind feels like. And she, it was not lost on her. Um, but she, she deserved the love. I, I mean, I'm not going to look at the nominations and be like, oh, so-and-so deserved it instead. But it was a good time to, uh, to give her some love. The movie was a huge hit, like, the, the the level of hit that it was is sort of what drove it to a Best Picture nomination. I mean, that and the performance, certainly. And who played her husband? Tim McGraw? No. Who played her it's husband? So long. Yeah, Tim McGraw. It was Tim McGraw because he also was in Friday Night Lights, so he's like Mr. Football. But yeah, Tim McGraw plays her uh, husband, and it's it's a fine movie. I mean, John Lee. Han it's a John Lee Hancock movie. Let's say that. Um, you got anything special to add to that? I mean, sort of what you're kind of dancing around. It was sort of like at the time it was that kind of Oscar bait. Um, yeah. But I think she she hit so well because it is not something we're used to seeing from her, but it also taps into stuff we are used to seeing. Like, you know, as you mentioned, the the Southern stuff was probably easy for her to, to channel on a personal level. And, you know, she really is the center of the film and she's got this grit and this drive and she's very passionate and you're you're on her side you want her and her family and michael to succeed and i think that's you know that's no small feat and i think that's that's why it was recognized at the time you know it was it was the time for that and as you mentioned she seemed to notice that and and know that and you know good for her fun fact about the oscars that year by the way keanu reeves presented uh the hurt locker and you know they present each of the best picture nominees I seem to recall he pre he presented the Hurt Locker, which was fun because of the Bigelow connection. And Sandra's about to win Best Actress, so 
Maybe they should do the Lake House 2 at some point. Or Speed 3. The Lake House 2? <laughs> they should close off that trilogy, though. They need to do something else together that's good. Um, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, she's in that. Another Best Picture nominee, a strange movie, not a good movie, but another Best Picture nominee. She does The Heat, which you brought up a minute ago in 2013, and that's action hero territory for her, right? I mean, she's uh, a cop with Melissa McCarthy, uh, huge hit again, though you do start to wonder at this stage, and I've sort of been talking about this, you know, can she only be a success opposite someone where the package is the selling point? And it's like, but then gravity comes along <laughs> and becomes the biggest hit that she's done, I guess. And I think, and it's just her. I mean, that blows that out of the water, right? I mean, yeah, Clooney's in that for a minute, but Gravity is, to me, one of the two or three best movies of the last decade, and she is phenomenal in it. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite movies, uh, uh, you know, contemporary movies. Best Picture, won like six Oscars. She was nominated, probably deserved to win. Um, what else can be said about this movie? Anyway, it's almost 10 years. It is 10 years old, strangely. Uh, what, you a Gravity fan? I'm a Gravity fan. Should I tell my Gravity story? Yeah, absolutely. Now's okay. the time. So I went to see. Uh, so I was at I was at the Toronto International Film Festival, and I believe it was my first time there. Mm. And there was like the big like premiere screening of it, and I couldn't go to it. Um, I could, but I was going the next day, and that screening I really want to go to. Be, I really wanted to go to because it was in the IMAX theater, and like they have it's real IMAX there. So I was like, yeah, this sounds great. So I, I haven't gone to see it yet. Everyone else has seen it that day. And I'm at a party and I'm hobnobbing, chit-chatting. And um, I'm standing with my my beloved boyfriend, Mike Ryan. And he's talking with other people who have seen it that day. And they're like, yeah, it's so great. And Mike goes, yeah, it's so great. The scene where she lands on Earth, like, I really felt that. And I turned to him. I said, are you kidding me? And he's <laughs> like, what? Uh, it's not a spoiler. And I was like, it's a huge spoiler. It's the only spoiler and i'm someone who actually <laughs> usually loves spoilers but this i was like what the hell but the point of that is even when i did go see it the next day even knowing that she makes it it didn't detract from the experience and the tension and the fear that i had but yeah i have a similar story about speed i've told it i think before on here uh some some kid on the at baseball practice was like, dude, I saw speed. Dennis Hopper gets his head knocked off at the end. But this is like, that just made me want to watch the movie more. It, yeah. Nobody cared about spoiler culture back then, but yeah, gravity kicks ass. And, and my story about gravity is it was the first movie that I saw twice uh, at the Telluride film festival. And anybody that's been to the Telluride film festival knows it's four days. It's a sprint. And you don't have time to see a movie a second time. Like you want to fill that time with other movies. And on my last day, I was like, I'm going to go see gravity again. Like that movie's an experience like no other. And I just, I'm a huge fan. So it, it, and it showed that she could, I don't think she needed to show it, but it showed that she could just like handle being this person shouldering a movie uh, by herself. Uh, and, and not many actors really even get that kind of an opportunity, but she knocked it out of the park. This is all, by the way, part of a stretch where she's just a box office queen because she's also a voice in Minions, which is a massive hit. Uh, she's in The Heat. She's in Gravity. Ocean's 8 in 2018 is a hit. Let's talk about Ocean's 8. 
uh, I, I did just watch it on your recommendation because I had not seen it. Um, it's fine. She is perfect for this kind of a movie and this kind of a cast, though, because it's like her, Kate Blanchett, uh, Anne Hathaway, Hel- Helena Bonham Carter, Aquafina. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a rowdy group of girls. So, uh, ladies, I, pardon me. <laughs> but but uh, what do you got to say about Ocean's Eight? I mean, I think it's it's fun. It's not up to par with the the other contemporary Ocean's movies. I think it's an interesting role for her because she's a little more like scuzzy than we're used to, which is mm-hmm. fun. Like she's kind of playing the bad guy. I do think the most fun part about it is watching her and Kate Blanchett together. I think that Sandy is really great at sharing the screen with other women. And she does that to a, to a T in Ocean's 8. Like, I mean, in Miss Congeniality, she, it's like her and Heather Burns and Candace Bergen and in The Heat, obviously her and Melissa McCarthy. And so I think she likes working with other women and she's mm-hmm. really good at it. And I think it's fun. It's fine. It has some great set pieces. Mm-hmm. I would not be opposed to a sequel of this one. Yeah. No, that's true, too, about uh, that th- you say she likes working with women. And also just when you look at, I mean, I'm just thinking back, like uh, my joke on Practical Magic is maybe she wanted to work with Diane Weist. <laughs> you know, like maybe that was the draw. Uh, and obviously Nicole Kidman. Uh, and I think about Ellen Burstyn and Define Secrets and obviously Betty White, who she was close with for uh, the proposal and just movies like this. She's always at home uh, in these scenes. Uh, she just feels like the right ingredient. She also throws in, by the way, uh, our brand is Crisis, David Gordon Green. Uh, it's a small little movie that didn't really do much, but um, I guess it is message-oriented, kind of. But uh, it's it's something that's thrown in there. But the same year as Ocean's 8, she is uh, in Bird Box. This is sort of the Netflix period. I will say this. Bird Box and The Unforgivable are still the number three and number nine most watched movies on Netflix uh, ever. It's number one. Number one is Red Notice, as it, as it would be. Is number two Extraction? <laughs> now you're going to make me look. Well, you most can't, like, watched for... Netflix no. movies. Yeah. Number two is Don't Look Up. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, look, Leo, Jennifer Lawrence, I mean, it's packed with people that people want to see. It makes sense. But right in the thick of all of this are these two Sandra Bullock movies where it's that's what they are. They're Sandra Bullock movies. They're not other people movies. They're not ensemble movies. And, you know, that plus The Lost City, which came out last year with Channing Tatum, the one she did with Channing Tatum, uh, which was a hit. Point is, she's still got it. She's still something, someone that audiences want to see. Her audience is still there. They haven't gone anywhere. Uh, why do you think she maintains this audience that presumably started with Speed? Because that was the movie that really set up her personality and this kind of just bright, likable persona. And maybe that's the simple answer that people want to go see bright, likable personas and what is she going to do next? But you know, she maintains across a spectrum of movies this audience. I mean, Gravity... Lost City, Bird Box and Unforgivable, uh, Miss Congeniality. These are wildly different movies. So it's not like audiences will only go see her in a certain thing, is my point. They will show up for her. So what do you think? Why does she still, in 2023, 30 years after she was on this bus, uh, still maintain that audience? 
Well, no, I mean, I think you partially nail it with like this bright, likable personality and we, and she's doing different things, but I think people always like Sandra and they feel like they know her and sort of going back to that America's sweetheart thing that she's been so a part of the fabric of so many different kinds of contemporary American movies. And I think people, you know, they hear her name, they see that she's on a poster that brings with it a a sense of like a certain kind of quality and that it's not going to be something trashy and talking down to the audience. Like you're going to have a good time. You're going to enjoy yourself, even if it is something like Bird Box, which is extremely grueling and not my favorite thing that she's done. But I think, yeah, there's just like a mark of quality when she's involved in something. It's going to be something that people are going to enjoy that will have appeal for all kinds of, you know, potential audience members. And she's also not really a mercenary. I mean, a number of these movies she produced as well. So she's got a creative hand in things. Um, she's not just showing up, phoning it in and leaving. Um, I, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring this up. I, I don't want to bog down into it, certainly. I, I do think there there might be a vulnerability element here that I think people just... She's been through some shit publicly, right? I mean, similar to Keanu, by the way. Keanu loses his best friend in River Phoenix. Keanu went through... Uh, you know, the death of his girlfriend and and the stillbirth of their baby and just a, a, a number of things he's been through publicly. And then with Sandra, she's had a number of stalkers, yep. big, big events in her life. The, the, the stuff that the stuff that Jesse James put her through is brutal, especially all of that happening, like literally in the immediate wake of winning the Oscar, all of that blows up within a month uh, with his infidelities. So I just think she's been through some things publicly that creates a vulnerability and maybe a rooting interest too. I mean, that's not why she has an audience, but I do think it, it keeps her off of a pedestal in a way. Does that make sense? Or is that unfair? Yeah. No, because it's like, I mean, as you said, some of the, the, the things that she's gone through are, you know, not exactly relatable because, you know, you know, she had a number of stalkers. That's not something the average person is going to understand, but it's just like, here's someone who is, this huge, famous, beautiful, multi-talented millionaire, and she still has bad stuff happen to her, but she keeps carrying on. She doesn't, you know, run away from the spotlight. She doesn't like stop working. She is, she has a resilience to her that even with outside circumstances, outsized circumstances, people I think recognize and really spark mm-hmm. to. Yeah. She certainly doesn't seem to have taken on any cynicism along the way, which would be easy for anyone in her place. And uh, people still want to see her, man. So uh, it's it's a great, incredible ongoing career. Um, I don't really know what else we can say here other than Sandra Bullock rocks. And, uh, you know, I, I said this on the last episode, some movie had to be the one to say she it, it made her a star because she was going to be a star no matter what. Something gets to say it's the one, and Speed is the one. Speed is the movie that made Sandra Bullock a star. So, in closing, what would you have to say about uh, her legacy and you know where she's at, where she's going? You never really, you never really know where she's going. By the way, right? Like I was going to say that suddenly a Sandra movie, a Sandra Bullock movie is coming along and it becomes a hit. You know, it's it's not like you see the horizon on her career all the time. It's very interesting. No, I mean, I think it's just don't underestimate her and and don't think you know what she's going to do next. But whatever she does next is going to be of a certain quality and she's going to give herself to it totally. 
yeah, as you said, she's never going to phone it in. So you may not know what it looks like, but I think, you know, you know, a certain level of of care and quality is going to go into it. Totally. Well, that's Sandra Bullock, folks. Thank you again, Kate, for uh, coming on the show. That's Kate Erbland, everybody. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Next week on 50 Miles Per Hour. With production only weeks away, Fox decides the script for Speed needs a tune-up. Big mistake. He made the script clearly worse. You know, just thinking about it infuriates me. We gave him specific instructions and he just kind of went off and did what he did. And he was paid a fuckload of money. Screenwriter Paul Atanasio takes a crack at an uncredited rewrite that ultimately freaks everyone out. It really put the doctor in script doctor. I would come in and I'd be like, here's where it hurts. I'll also talk to screenwriter Joss Whedon, whose own work under the hood gave speed the spark it needed. People always assume the script doctor comes in to make jokes, and usually it's to connect things so that they make sense. I'll also unwind the mystery of who wrote the film's most iconic line. Everyone says it was Joss, but guess what? Really? I mean, gosh, it'd be hilarious if I did write it in all these years I'd just forgotten. Yeah, I don't think I can take credit for it. All of that and more next week, right here on 50 Miles Per Hour. Thanks so much for listening. 50 Miles Per Hour is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Chris Tapley. You can find us on Twitter at 50MPHPod. I'm at Chris Tapley, that's Chris with a K. You can also catch every episode and more at our website, 50MPHPodcast.com. If you dug the show, please like and subscribe and do all the things. We'll see you next time.